Hello, and welcome to Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, covering political and social issues one liberty at a time, with entertaining insights of current events and important discussions on topics that affect us all, shining the torch of liberty and brightening the future by bringing libertarianism into our everyday life. And now, your host, the friendly neighborhood libertarian, Jason Lyon, Mr. America, The Bearded Truth on Muddied Waters Media. Wait, did he bring back the headphones? He brought back the headphones. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. I'm so glad you guys are here. I am, of course, Mr. Murka, the Beard of Truth, Jason Line. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another wonderful Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern show here on Muddy Waters Murka. Muddy Waters of Freedom. Woo. Muddy Waters Murka. I like it. I'm going to send that over to, I know we got Muddy Murka, but now we've got Muddied, Muddied Waters Murka. That that's got a nice jingle to it. Let me know what you guys think of the comment section below. But anyways, today we have a wonderful guest, an amazing guest. Um, I have the one, the only Jessica Etheridge. She is on the ballot across all of South Carolina this coming up November. She's running for a lieutenant governor. She's a good friend of mine. She's a incredibly, uh, incredibly well versed and, and articulate individual activist. She's great when it comes to legalese. She runs uh, within her business, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, she's somebody that people look up to. She's a true leader in every role that she steps into. So I was excited to be able to have the opportunity today to come sit down and uh, have a little ask me anything. So if you guys have questions for Jessica for a lieutenant governor running in South Carolina, um, running under the banner of the Libertarian Party, Tonight is the show for you. So thank you guys so much for doing for joining in tonight. I'm of course Jason Lyon, and this is a Muddy Waters Media production, which means that you can find this episode and every other episode on MuddyWatersFreedom.com or MuddyWatersMedia.com. Either site still works, I do believe. Um, want to give a big shout out and a thank you to, of course, Brian Scott Lambert and Jenny for the intro that we use on this episode and every episode of Mr. America: The Bearded Truth. Want to give a shout out and a thank you to Matt and Spike for continuing to give me a platform to have amazing guests like we do tonight. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Zuckerberg for not zucking us too far, only slightly into oblivion. So we are still here. We are still pushing it out, whether it's on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Float, Odyssey, or on any of your favorite podcast apps. However, wherever you're hearing us, we want to thank you guys so much for that. Make sure you guys are giving us those five-star reviews everywhere, anywhere you are. Make sure when you're on YouTube, you guys are hitting that notification bell so your phone blows up every time Muddy Waters Media goes live with either the shows live here on Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, or when you have the pre-recorded shows where we have three episodes each and every week with Matt and Spike. So if you guys are wondering, well, I've only seen two public facing. Well, that to get that third, that heavily coveted third episode, you'll have to head over to anchor.fm slash muddied waters slash subscribe. Hit that, hit it up just $10 a month. You're looking at just a couple lattes out of your month, taking it out. You know, it's, I know it's pumpkin spice season. I know all the la ladies are ranting and raving. Uh, if you guys have been following Thomas Arnold or the Liberty Clause, he's been posting a lot about it lately, tagging my wife and, and Sarah Anderegg as well, super fan Sarah Anderegg. Just for the price of, of two pumpkin spice lattes, you can get that heavily, uh, heavily coveted third episode of Muddy Waters of Freedom every week. So head on over to anchor.fm slash muddy waters slash subscribe. And of course, you guys can head over to, if you're looking to rep 
muddy waters everywhere you go anywhere you go you guys can head on over to muddywatersmedia.com store want to give a quick shout out for an upcoming event where we have in columbus ohio um i know we spoke about this before it's supposed to be august 20th 21st they have moved that back to the following uh the the weekend following elections so we'll see that in november november uh 10th and 11th i do believe were the dates um so that would be Sorry, the 11th and the 12th. There we go. The 11th and the 12th. I will get you guys that information as soon as I know more about that. But you will be able to see myself. You'll see Spike. You'll see Kelsey Lyon. And of course, you'll also see the wonderful Jessica Etheridge. I believe she'll be joining us as well. So we may be able to to poke her and prod her on that to make sure that she's still uh, planning to be in attendance for that. We also have the wonderful, fantastic gala coming up november 8th where if you guys are looking for something to do if you guys are in florida looking for a fantastic event head on down to brevard county florida november 8th it's going to be that tuesday night from 6 to 10 we'll be in the nyami nyami river lodge uh it's in the brevard zoo fantastic night you guys are not going to want to miss that head on over to lpbrevard.org slash gala to sign up if you guys are looking to sponsor your uh your events your campaigns whatever it is whatever you're doing Head on over to lpbrevard.org slash gala hyphen sponsors. I think with the exception of just this one more, I think we might be might be through today. You guys are looking to take your events to the next level. You guys are looking to, to take take your campaign and spread it to millions and trillions and, and quadrillions of people. You guys got to head on over to KelseyLionDesigns.com. Go ahead and just sign up now. Go go sign up for her newsletter. Go sign up to, to talk to her, engage with her. She's going to take your logos, your branding, your business cards, your publications. She's going to make them better than what you've been receiving before. She's going to take you to the next level. Countless guests that we've had on this show have used Kelsey Line in the past, and I believe that they would all vouch for her, both as a person and as a branding genius. So... Get on over there to Kelsey Lion Designs. You can also use KelseyLion.design. Brand new website. We'll get a new flyer up for that soon. Use the code Muddied Waters. You're going to get a discount. She's going to love it. Uh, some sad news that we have to share in the chat before we get bring our guest on. Uh, Joe Hanoush has admitted to trimming his beard today. I'm sorry, man. You know, some of us can't can't handle keeping the beard up like this. But nonetheless, I want to go ahead and bring on my good friend, um, Jessica Etheridge. I'm so excited for today's conversation. She's running. She's on the ballot. She's going to be the next lieutenant governor of South Carolina. Please, everybody, welcome. Jess, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Going Uh, pretty good. Bless Joe's heart. (laughs) Right? Oh, it's so sad. I don't know you, Joe, but... Sounds like a tough break. It's 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 terrible. I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, doing that willingly. And so he said it's half gone. Half, well, you know, we were a few minutes late because Jason literally had to groom his beard before we went live. So this is a thing we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> She's not wrong, y'all. She is not wrong. I, I will not lie. I will not tell a lie. An honest politician. What What is this? So, Jessica, you are on the ballot coming up in November. We had gotten you passed pretty... For us being Libertarian Party, it's pretty hard to get 10, 
10 out of 20 libertarians on board with something. You were able to pull a super majority. Uh, you were able to, to come together, corral people who otherwise disagree with a lot of the messaging uh, inside, outside the caucuses, uh, or you're able to corral a lot of people. And I think that this speaks to a lot of, of who you are and how you, you conduct yourself. And so I'm so incredibly excited to be able to sit down and have this conversation with you tonight. We've got a lot of... Joe Hanush says this is the best reason to delay. We've got a lot of, of topics that we've, of course, kind of set up for us tonight. Um, but I, I want to remind the, the audience that if you guys are checking this out live, you guys are more than welcome to pop your, your chats into, or your questions, your comments, everything else into the chat. Um, I will uh, try to get to as many of those as we can. Um, but I first wanted to just say thank you again for, for taking the time to come sit down with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I hope I can... Um live up to that shining introduction you gave me. <laughs> oh. It was pretty, um, was no pressure, it, right? Yeah, no pressure at all. I mean, you just, <laughs> on your worst day, this is the, uh, what I described for everybody was her on her worst day. So, you know, if, if she, I'm just kidding, uh, no pressure at all. So no. it, um, but not only are you an activist in this area, not only have you gotten the, the support of libertarians in, around here, but you're also a fellow podcaster. And so um, I first want to be able to give you the opportunity to plug that. I know you guys are on a hiatus right now because you seem mm -hmm. to be busy with something. I don't know what it was. Uh, yeah. But I, go ahead. Feel free to, to plug your amazing podcast that needs all of the eyes and ears that can possibly get. Yeah, so we have Parenting Porcupines, and it is myself, Casey Whitener from the Midlands, and Melissa Kucher from the Low Country. She's in Charleston. Um, we're just three moms. We work. We have, you know, careers. We've got kids. We're all in different stages of our parenting journeys, but we do a, um, when we are in season, we do a weekly show, and we talk about current events. Usually, we'll pick one specific topic. Um, and we talk about just how we parent through these things, how we talk to our kids, how libertarian principles can kind of guide those conversations in some ways. And then we talk about topics that aren't related to uh, current events, things that are just parenting topics, these things that all of us in this season of our lives are struggling with. And so it's a lot of fun. It's really cool because I get to talk about things that I love with people that I love. And we all have different opinions and we all have different reasons for our opinions. And it's just really cool that people get to see us three moms talking about these things in these ways. And um, it's great. We love it. Yeah. But uh, Casey is my campaign manager and Melissa is our campaign treasurer. So yeah, the three of us are a little bit busy and <laughs> Melissa is actually running for her local school board. So she's not wearing okay. enough hats is what you're saying. So we need to go ahead she, and give her something. She doesn't else. have enough. We need to give her a few more. Yeah. A few more. Let's, get, let's light them on fire before we give them to her, though. Perfect. She'll, she she'll be ready that. for those. And <laughs> she'll, she'll be able to handle it. If anybody can handle it, Melissa can. It's crazy. She is like, I am in awe of her always because yeah. it's like she is just there. Anything that is needed, she's she does it. She just knocks it out. She always knocks it out of the park. I'm like... I mean, she's superwoman. I'm convinced. Yeah. yeah, no, it's incredible. And and just speaking to parenting porcupines, I've I've got to I, a couple years ago. I was yeah. on for one of the episodes, but 
mm-hmm. watching these things as an audience member, just as you described it, you guys have three different perspectives. They all fall in line with the, the libertarian philosophy. It's all picking things through, but it also mm-hmm. is a way to, for us as, as, porcupines as as libertarians to be able to kind of really take this worldview and apply it to somebody who is you know so impressionable we don't want to have our kids be impressed in in other ways from like the school systems or or what have you they're they're there to be educated and so it gives it equips the parents in in such a way it's a it's an incredible idea i'm so thankful for you guys for doing this um so it's really it's really neat too. Sorry, I'm gonna say there one more thing about it. You're good. Um, because when we were creating this, like when I first had the idea, it was like, how do we connect with people outside of our echo chamber, right? Because it's really easy as podcasters to focus on the people who want to hear what we have to say, but how do we connect with people outside of that group? And oftentimes, parents that I talk to are like, yeah, I don't have time for politics. I don't understand politics. And what easier way to connect with someone who doesn't have that understanding of these ideas than how we talk to our kids about them, right? Mm -hmm. Like that connection, that shared experience and that, that fundamental conversation, I think is, it's really cool because people can hear it and they're like, oh, that's not, that's not so confusing after all. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's incredible. So you you come from being an activist on, on behind the microphone, which you know those are the best people. Clearly, there, there's no one better than than people behind a microphone. Um, but you also are engaged in your communities. You were one of the people help spearheading up a lot of uh, community outreach programs here in our county. Um, we happen to be neighbors uh, for people outside this podcast um, where we've been out there and we've got signs now in, in our area saying, hey, look, this is where Greenville libertarians are picking up the shovel and doing the, doing the damn thing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're heading up community organizations, you're heading up community activism, you're heading up a, uh, or in partnership with heading up a, a podcast you're a successful businesswoman. You're successful in the, the legal area. You're, you know, you're just, you touch things and they turn to gold effectively. Um, <laughs> you're laughing. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like there's a reason why so many people out across South Carolina that know you love you and they respect you and they trust you and they're willing to go out of their way in order to help support you. And I think that this is something that got highlighted. And so I wanted to dive into, I wanted to of course give you this platform to talk about that. Um, but not to be like, Hey, look at, let me beat my chest. I'm Jessica Etheridge, but more of people get to see who Jessica Etheridge is, but also get to see kind of that libertarian philosophy of it's really not that complicated. It's really not that difficult oftentimes we make it more difficult than than otherwise um but i wanted to i i wanted to ask for the first big question the first big gotcha question if you will how did you become a libertarian well talk me through like the big milestones that that got you to here to today so it's really funny because i have always had an interest in politics since i was a little girl um and it started because my dad and i my dad would get me up on, I think it was Friday nights. It was really, it would be really late and we would watch Rush Limbaugh. Um, I know like gasp, cringe, whatever. But uh, back then, you know, it wasn't quite the same, but anyway, so my dad would, um, would get me up and we would watch Rush Limbaugh. And he always talked to me about all the things. I mean, we didn't, you know, hold things back. And even 
through my teenage years, my mom and dad divorced and I lived with my dad. And so when I was a teenager, we had a lot of conversations about current events and things that were going on. We talked about religion. We talked about all the politics. And so we had a lot of really complex conversations and he always taught me how to think. It was never, this is what you have to believe. This is what you should think because that's what I think. It was always, you know, how do you feel about this? Why do you feel that way? What makes you, you know, what experience gave you that opinion? And um, so, but I grew up in a conservative household, obviously, right? Rush Limbaugh says it all. (laughs) Um, but but very conservative, um, blue collar household. And I went to college. I went three semesters for political science, uh, came home and I worked for a few years. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I I, I hated university, which, you know, talk about that later. Um, you know, (laughs) sending kids to four year colleges when they aren't really determined that that's their path, but how we got to student loan. Yeah. They're just encouraged. I digress. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I digress. So um, I came home and I went, I eventually went back to Greenville tech and got a two-year degree in paralegal studies. And so I started my career and just having different experiences, meeting different people and talking to different people and making those connections. It gave me a lot of different, a lot of exposure to a lot of different ideas And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that maybe I'm not as conservative in a lot of the ways that I always thought I was. And so the more I thought about it, there was a lot of like, it was very introspective, I guess. Um, Just really exploring that. And I finally realized I don't really have a political home because I don't think I, I align with this Republican party and I don't align with the Democrats. And so where do I fall in that spectrum? Like, where do I go? Yeah. You know? And it was about that time that Ron Paul made his first uh, presidential run. And so that's when I kind of started to get that um, exposure. And so over those years, I just kind of kept an eye on things. And I, I think the Greenville County Libertarian Party, the monthly meeting popped up on my Facebook feed one day just randomly popped up and I was like, Hmm, maybe I'll go check that out and see what it's about. Yeah. And I went to my first meeting and I didn't talk very much because I was very intimidated because I didn't know anybody. And it was, um, it was all white men. And so it was just kind of like intimidating for me, but, um, even though I'm not really easily intimidated. Yeah. I've never known you to be, but yeah, I know. So anyway, but, um, but yeah, so, but I, even though I was intimidated, it, it still felt very comfortable and I was able to hear them and listen and they were very, you know, respectful and welcoming. And so I just kept going back and the more comfortable I got, the more engaged I became. And here I am. They, uh, they asked me to be the secretary when we re did our reorganization a few years ago. And so I did that and that's how I started to get involved. And then I started at the state level and it's, it's a snowball. Yeah, a, a snowball. We were talking earlier about Melissa having to wear a couple hats, and now you're wearing, I think, 16 hats, uh, 17 <laughs> on a good day. At least. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it's one of those things that you've been, you've been used and abused by this party, 
and they've <laughs> everybody has been made better because of that i i think uh i think that there's an award that should be coming your way for all the things that you've done for the for the county level and for the state party um but now you are now you're heading up you've developed and you've realized the republican party the democrat party is not the not the way an opportunity comes forward and it's jessica etheridge on the ballot in november as lieutenant governor to help end the duopoly set people free in our lifetime and you're beaming uh this <laughs> you know it's it's an incredible opportunity that you're on now and so i wanted to get into some of the some of the conversations that are are really weighing on the minds of, of at least the people that i've been speaking with and of course my small section of people uh, may not be indicative of the entire state, but there's a lot of things that have been going on out there. Um, and libertarians are, you know, the bread and butter things that a lot of us talk about the criminal justice system. We talk about foreign wars. We talk about the education system. We talk about healthcare. We talk taxation is theft, right? It's not a libertarian podcast. So we say that, um, <laughs> but we're seeing where the libertarians have a foothold in the conversation where it's like both sides are kind of taking our, our, our stance and pivoting from it. And so I wanted to go, I, I talk a lot about the criminal justice system. And I think that that's a, a good point to start from just to kind of gloss through this uh, 30,000 foot view, you know, as Lieutenant governor, what, what are some of the things that you're looking at in, in South Carolina? How, is there anything glaring in the criminal justice system and the way that it's being used in our state that you want to say, hey, we need a change of direction in this? Well, there are, there are a lot of things. There yeah. are a lot of things. Um, I think the two biggest things that are being discussed right now are civil asset forfeiture and um, qualified immunity, right? Those Absolutely. are two really big things for anybody who is a, an activist, for criminal justice reform um, because with civil asset forfeiture, yeah. you are, you know, punishing someone without due process, which is, I don't, I don't even know how we're doing that. It's so unconstitutional. Right. Um, and then with qualified immunity, you know, I think as with any profession, I think that there should be consequences for your actions. And I think that sheltering, a group of people yeah. based on, you know, that, that job judges, police officers. Uh, it's not fair. Yeah. It's not just, uh, and, and you end up having a system that serves itself and not the people that it is supposed to be serving. Absolutely. And, and I also think that one thing else that's kind of important. I, I saw recently South Carolina's number two for cannabis uh, incarceration like we are in i can see i've already fired you up so take me take me down the take me down the cannabis stance where where is the campaign heading on this what's the stance how are we moving forward i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and just give you the full screen that's cool <laughs> oh is it uh <laughs>
Um, sorry, my husband just came upstairs, even though I told him not to come up here. So. You're good. I I didn't set up the <laughs> he audio. Distracted me. Yeah, I didn't set up the audio correctly for that anyway. So we're gonna have to be on on a split screen anyway. So sorry about that, guys. So. No. I, if you'd like to please repeat what the stance is, because uh, you said it so well, and I don't want to, I don't want to miss. So, what's the stance on cannabis? What are you guys moving for? What's the end goal? What is the stance for today um, on cannabis for the state? Because right now, for everyone to get the frame of mind, in this state, we're second in the nation for the highest incarceration rates for cannabis. Um, we are utilizing anything and everything in order to keep using it. We spoke about civil asset forfeiture. Um, that is, of course, a proxy of the war on drugs. But cannabis is something that's on the hearts and minds of so many people. And uh, so what, what's, the, what's the campaign stance? How are you guys pushing forward on this? Well, ultimately working toward full decriminalization of it. Um, and I think the best first step is with the medicinal use of it, because there are more than enough, I mean, an overwhelming number of studies that show the benefits of its use in treating a variety of different health issues from cancer to, you know, anxiety, mental health. It helps with seizures. People used it for seizures successfully. And so there's just, I, I, I can't even, no matter how hard I try, I can't figure out how we're still having this conversation. Like, why is this even still a conversation? And then there's also the fact that, I mean, you have marijuana. Who are you hurting? There is no one. There's absolutely no one being hurt by you having, by you using uh, this, this drug or truly any drugs. I mean, really, not that I advocate the use of drugs. I wouldn't want my children using drugs, but you know, I mean, it's not hurting anybody else. Yeah. And I think, you know, but as it, as it relates to marijuana, I think working toward full decriminalization because it's just ridiculous that we're even still in this place in South Carolina, the dark ages. Oh, you described <laughs> our legislative body so well, the dark ages, Oof. just, take it back as far as we can um so bad it's so bad it, it it is one of those things and you know i commonly like to talk about like portugal and what portugal did and and i i'm like you i'm not going to sit out here and advocate for people to use the drugs whether that's mm -hmm. cocaine meth whatever what have you i i don't like them but yeah. just treating it like a, a social problem rather than a criminal problem we are seeing right. where it helps in leaps and bounds for the individuals, yeah. for the families, for the community, for every faucet. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm glad to see that there's actually a campaign out there that's not just advocating for the marijuana growers. I'm not I, there's a campaign out there not to just be on the side of police, but a, a, a campaign that's out there for the people for medicinal uses for just ending the war on drugs. Go ahead. Well, and I think it's for a lot of people, it's really scary because there's, there's this narrative around it, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, it was a gateway drug, you know, gateway drug. If you start smoking, if you start smoking the pot, the reefers, you're going to be a crackhead. Sure enough, you know, like living on the streets yeah. and no teeth and whatever. I mean, you know, it was like this whole scary thing. And, um, the reality is, it's not that, but I have friends who are in law enforcement, yeah. um, two particularly. And when there was a post a few weeks ago 
that I shared about, um, I believe it was about decriminalizing marijuana, um, maybe even drugs in general. I, I don't remember exactly, but they were very upset with me in the comments and I never actually circled back to respond to them, um, which I meant to, and I just, I lost track of, you know, things, but um, it was pretty much both of their responses were in the tone of, you know, because they've seen the worst of the worst. And one of yes. them actually was a, was a drug officer. Like that's what he did. He worked with, you know, like he worked to, to deal with cartels or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was this narrative that, you know, when you see, when you see your kids strung out, um, then you will feel differently about this being a nonviolent crime. And I want to be very clear about something. I want to be very clear about it. I haven't experienced that and I hope I never do. I hope my children are never addicted to anything. Yeah. Anything. However, as a parent, the best thing I can do is equip them with the knowledge and, and the ability to make decisions for themselves. And then at some point I have to trust that they're going to do that. Um, if they are 19, 20 years old using drugs and I've used every resource at my disposal to give them the help that they need and they continue to make that choice and they overdose, that is their choice. I don't want to lose my kids. It it kills me to think that I might ever that I could. Um, but I think at some point we have to accept that there's some level of personal responsibility in that situation. Now. The other side of that, if you have a drug dealer who is selling drugs that are tainted and he knows that they're tainted, I mean, drug dealers, they cut things, right? I mean, that's what they do. So, and somebody dies, that's obviously different because that is a, there is a victim. Yeah. There's a perpetrator. Yeah. Um, As with any business, right? I mean, you sell tainted prescriptions, you're going to get locked up. So anyway, I kind of went, wanted to go down that. Oh, rabbit hole a little bit because those were two it was two really and, and they were very valid comments and I can see where they were coming from but at the same time there was that like underlying fear that was driving them and I think that when you remove fear from that conversation and you have it you know from a a reasonable perspective yeah um and 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 again I I respect these guys they're very good men um they're good police officers they're in they're, they have integrity they um, do a lot of good things in their community. They care about people. Um, and I have a lot of respect for them. And I respect their opinions and their experiences. And so I would I would never seek to... Um, to besmirch them. Finally. Try to invalidate yeah. their their experiences because their experiences have been pretty bad. You know, they've yeah. had some, pretty, and that, some exposures to bad stuff. That was always the thing for me. It was like the question of, well, what if your kids are, are you know suffering and and my thing is is i was like the worst thing i could ever do is say i want the criminal justice system to come and fix this for them with the recidivism rate with everything else like the best thing i would want as a parent is to equip them to be able to to go and and seek help um and as for it being a gateway Mm -hmm. drug just real quick the only gateway drug that it's ever been for was a gateway to taco bell and now that it's not (laughs) a dollar menu anymore like it's not even that great of a gateway so right no more taco tacos yeah yeah they're just taking all this stuff away darn you inflation um 
taking my youth. <laughs> exactly. What little bit of it I have left, you're taking it. Yeah. Little by little. So, so we hit on, on, on a couple of things in there, and I think that that's incredible. You know, just the reasonableness of end the war on drugs. We don't want we want to see the society get better. Um, so I want to I want to jump into a little bit about healthcare. This is something that a lot of families are facing, not just here in our state, but across the nation. And we have we've seen where the the barterings and the arguings and the the partisanship, um, both at, at Capitol Hill and down in the swamp of Columbia where it's just prescriptions of, of these solutions, but nobody's actually is talking about the source of some of these problems. And I know that you've got some of those stances out there that you're like, let's face these things head on. Let's handle them in a Jessica way where we're going to call the bullshit out. We're going to call it for what it is. And we're going to start addressing these things. So I want to know how is it that people of South Carolina would see through whatever means that you have, whether that's leveraging people having conversations with legislators or, or, or taking action, how would people of South Carolina see better healthcare, more affordable healthcare or, or what have you? I think the biggest thing is creating more of a free market for healthcare, right? You create competition. And when there's competition, there is innovation, there is uh, price competition. One of the things that has always bothered me is that anytime you go to a hospital, you go in for treatment for whatever is going on with, with you. Let's say you're going to the emergency room because you cut your foot open and you need stitches. They don't give you a quote up front. They don't give you like a, a, a price list of these services and these items yeah. um, to, so that you can choose they don't give you options and i think that's insane because you're just accepting whatever they're going to bill and you don't even know what that is i mean we go to a restaurant and we're given a menu with all of our food options and all of the prices why do we not expect that from our healthcare providers well healthcare the thing is they don't have to, like, there's nothing, there's nothing making them do that. They operate behind this curtain. They're protected by this monopoly almost. I mean, we have two, I think two really big healthcare systems in the state of South Carolina. We have Prisma and St. Francis, right? Mm -hmm. Are there any others? In the upstate? Not really. Yeah. And I mean, Prisma, I'm looking at you. When we talk about bullshit, I'm looking at you. (laughs) <laughs> um, not sorry yeah no you can't be not yeah. with prisma so um but they they get to operate behind this curtain meanwhile there i mean a group of doctors could come together and say we want to start this emergency clinic and they have to jump through fifteen thousand fiery hoops and they still can't do it because of all of the roadblocks that are in place. So all of these, these measures stifle that competition. And so people don't have choices in their healthcare. They don't get to make informed decisions because they're not even allowed to. Yep. It, it, on that note, and Kelsey's in the comment section, so I get to use her story. I was going to use it if she wasn't, but I'm just signifying that she's she's in the comment section. So thank you, Kelsey. I love you. Um, you know, when Kelsey had her her heart surgery 
we had to go to Prisma because that was like the local thing. And I was like, I don't really mm-hmm. have much of a choice. Uh, so I went and took her down to the to Prisma and they almost killed her. And so then it was like, now we need open heart surgery. What are we going to do? It's like, do I take them back to Prisma and say, yeah, you guys failed the first time on killing her. Let, let's give you guys a second go at it. Or I had to rely on on communities to take us all the way up to Boston, Massachusetts from South Carolina to go up to, to Mass General where they took incredible care for mm. of us. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, no, not many people are going to be in the circumstance that we were in. So if we if we're talking about healthcare, healthcare has to be one of those things where it's accessible for as many people as possible. And you know, to to your point of the government regulation, when it makes it more affordable and more accessible, it works against it because it's been propping up these monopolies. So we need to have those things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is. I get fired up every time I, I talk about healthcare. I gotta I gotta calm down. But it's the, the the pricing transparency, that's such a big note. Yeah. How much is this gonna cost? How much is this band-aid? I I, I realize oh, that band-aid. Yeah. That band-aid's gonna cost you at least seven hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. And you won't find yeah. out about it until three months later when your when your insurance company is bartering with the, the insurance or the healthcare providers and it's like, no, just I could go down to CVS right across the street and buy the same Band-Aid. Give yeah. me a prescription to go buy that Band-Aid. I'll, I'll be I'll be better off. Yeah. Mm. So, whew. You guys, I want to I give you guys this opportunity <laughs> as well in the comment section. Just a reminder, this isn't Ask Me Anything. So if you guys have any questions, I know you guys have been going live and going uh, crazy with these comments. Um, I appreciate all of those. If you guys do have a question, just put a question mark before you guys have your um, your statement there, and I will have the moderators who are standing by be able to check those, and we will try to get those questions asked for you guys. So feel free to ask those questions. Um, oh, healthcare. So you you actually touched a little bit on certificate need laws, and that's a, mm-hmm. an incredible thing that I love talking about with people. And I would. Um, I'm going to do a shameless plug. If you guys don't know about certificate need laws, go ahead and go back to a previous episode where we can talk about those um, on those. But we're in a state right now where the, what is he, what was he referenced as? The pedo Hitler, if you will. Uh, the, the commander in chief who was standing there in front of the red lights looking like Hitler <sighs> from back in the day, um, where he denies the existence of inflation. Um, but the economy is something that isn't necessarily working for a lot of Americans. It's not really working here in South Carolina for a lot of families. What are some of the things that you, um, should you be elected? What are some of the, the conversations that you would like to see facilitated in order to help just the average, uh, South Carolinian be better off? Well, I mean, I think removal of those certificate of need laws is the first step, right? <laughs> trying to work with our legislature to figure out how do we move forward on that? Because I mean, it's like every time it comes up, we might get a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And then it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest thing because once that's done, then we can start working within our communities. We can work with doctors and, um, and clinics to figure out what the needs are of the communities. And we can start to help build that. We can start to help build those networks to create those services and those facilities that are, that are needed because, you know, you should, you should have options. 
in your care, you should be able to make an informed decision. You should have the opportunity to make a, an informed decision. Um, and you should, you should have a choice. I think you should always have choices. Yeah. And I think taking away that choice is, um, yeah, it's, it's almost barbaric. It I is. mean, in my, in my opinion, <laughs> it so. is, it always is. Um, but I think, I think that, you know, it, we're looking right now. We just recently had the gas tax uh, final increment be added to oh. to South Carolina families. We saw where the inflation, of course, is coming from outside of of South Carolina coming into the state. Um, we're seeing where you know some of the the the, the barriers the artificial barriers, if you will, um, coming into the state for trade and everything else are kind of making it difficult for for families financially. Um, are there things that we can see, you know, I've, I've seen people have conversations around tax holidays of whether it's on the, the gases, whether it's on, um, maybe, maybe not a holiday, uh, maybe, maybe just a, a retirement, if you will, but <laughs> are there, is there anything in there that you're looking to alleviate for the families of, of South Carolina? Well, first of all, I don't like the idea of tax holidays because it's not a solution to the problem, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a temporary, uh, bandaid. It's not a solution. And I don't think that we should view something favorably that is a non-solution, especially not when it's being presented by the same party that created the problem in the first place. Um, I think that when we have this conversation about inflation and the impact it has on families in South Carolina, um, and especially communities that are already underserved, right? The poor communities, the more rural communities that don't have the same resources as say Greenville, Charleston, Columbia, yeah, and the bigger cities. Um, I think we really need to look at things like occupational licensing. I think we need to look at the business license requirements within municipalities and counties, because those things can be very burdensome. And I always use the example of hair braiding. I like to use that example because it's a good example for several reasons. Um, but at, right now you have to have a license. I think a cosmetology license to be a, a hair braider. And so if you have a community where there is a, a woman who is known for her hair braiding skills. She can't do that for income without having that license. Also, you know, probably a business license. She has to submit herself with that licensing to DHEC inspections and things like that, which opens her up to fines if things aren't just perfect, yep. um, which makes it incredibly difficult to work out of the home, which creates overhead, right? So all of these things start to add up. And so you have a woman who is exceptionally good at braiding hair and could make a very good living in her community doing that. And that's, a, that's something that can be a business that can be started with virtually no overhead otherwise, but she can't do that. And if you look at the cost to start that business as it is right now with all of the licensing requirements, I mean, that could be groceries for her family for a week or two yes. weeks or three weeks or a month. And when choosing between feeding your kids and starting a business, you're going to probably choose your kids, right? Like it's, it's really hard to, 
to say, I'm not going to buy groceries because I want to start this business. And these are all the things that I have to do. And even after I do them, I still might not be successful. You know, I still might not, and I still might not even have a fair shot. And so I think we have to have conversations about what these barriers are that the government has created and how do we take them down to allow people to enter this market, to start businesses, to be entrepreneurs, to have that competition Um, because those things breed innovation, right? Innovation makes economies stronger. And I think it's, it's just important that we have conversations about those things. I think that's the first, I think that's a reasonable first step. I I think that that's, it's an incredible story that you were talking about the hairdressers um, for two things. And the first one is when we talk when we talk to older generations and they were talking about when their grandparents came to the country, they came with a dollar fifty in their pockets and a will and, and a dream. And they came in and they built up their lives and they became successful because they were able to work hard. They were able to be successful. This isn't kind of the world that we live in anymore where, you know, as you spoke about the occupational licensing, the, um, I just blanked on the term, but you have so many things where government has come in and regulated so finely, so, so meticulously in every, every faucet of our lives that it makes it so difficult. And, and the second thing was, was Joe Hanoush has a fantastic comment on this. If you can trust your neighbor to do something, it shouldn't need a government license to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that's, I mean, that's the idea of a free market. Right. I mean, you're going to give your business to the people and this might just be kind of a a sidebar slash rabbit hole. But in a free market, you're going to give your money, your business to people you trust and people who are known to be shysty. They're not going to get people are going to stop giving them money. They're going to stop trusting them. They're going to stop giving them business. And I think it takes care of itself. Those problems take care of themselves. But I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, two consenting people contracting for services, the government should never be involved in those transactions. There's absolutely no reason. And and just to make sure that this is a, a true and proper libertarian podcast, when those two people are, are interacting with one another, the third party doesn't get to steal portions of that. Taxation is theft. We can move on. Always. <laughs> um, I just closed that tab. Um, so... Occupational licensing, economic freedom, we, we kind of hit those. Those are very important things, right, of, of actually giving people an opportunity to be successful. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine being a parent of two daughters and not being able to start up a business because we couldn't afford to start up a business to be able to fund mm-hmm. them. It, it's terrible. Um, well, and you have to think, too. Sorry not to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. I'm going to cut you off. Um, it's that whole, that mentality of pull yourself up by your bootstraps right? Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, you'll be successful. You can't expect somebody to do that when you take away their damn boots. Yeah. Like you can't expect them to do that if you take away their boots. The, um, so we have comments coming in on this. Um, so the IRS just goes ahead and well, not the IRS, the Congress, federal Congress just passed and, and gave us 87,000 new IRS agents. Um, is that going to make it easier or more, more difficult? Uh, I I would love to hear just your federalist idea of, of fuck the IRS. Uh, <laughs> we in South Carolina are free people and we don't need 
you guys intermingling in our six hundred one dollar Venmo transactions uh, from neighbor to neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That's a big. That's a big conversation. Yes. Um. So. Um, <laughs> sorry, because no, I good. think because I think part of that is also this idea of secession, right? And I think that's a big conversation right now, especially within our party, with all of the talk from National about this national divorce, which. I don't fully understand. Not sorry. Um, but, you know, I do think that a state should have every right to say, you know what, we're not going to do that because you work for us. Yeah. Right. And I think that's something that gets lost a lot of times when we have political conversations is everybody thinks the federal government is the, the, the daddy, right? They're the daddy and everybody has to listen to daddy, Right. But that's not true. That's not how our founding fathers built our country. That's not what they envisioned for our country. It starts at the local level. The people control their government. They control the local government. They send people locally to the state to represent them. It is up to the state um, to run itself. And it we send people from the state to the federal government to oversee that, right? Like, that's it's bottom up, not yes. top down. And I think this idea that the IRS can hire over 80,000 new agents and all of a sudden they have some authority over all of these things is absurd. Yeah. It's absurd. Um, and I, I absolutely think that states should have every opportunity. And I think that it should be respected if they say, no, we're not going to do this because it is completely possible for a state to break away from any federal thing. I mean, like the Department of Education. If South Carolina broke away from the Department of Education altogether and started working for itself on its own education system, had its communities working for themselves, working with teachers and educators to make sure that they had the ability to run their classrooms, to do what they are trained and educated to do, instead of having all of this bureaucratic red tape, um, sorry, another rabbit hole. Oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> but, but, but those are the types of examples where states should absolutely have the right to say, you know what, we don't need your federal funding. We don't want your federal funding. We are going to completely step out of this. Yeah. And the federal government should not be able to do anything contrary to what those states' wishes are. Yeah. And, and I love on this, on this topic of, of, that decentralization. I love mm -hmm. that. I don't remember who started this. I don't remember if it was a red state or a blue state, but the idea of sanctuary states, whether that was for immigration, whether that was for mm -hmm. abortions, whether that was for the second amendment, right? There's some, yeah. there's some flavor that, that hit, sings to the heart of, of most voters that they're like, yes, this is what we need. Why not education? As there's a giant wave of families out there, and I think this is the next topic that we can tee up, as as the conversation around school choice and that the public school system after post-COVID, um, because of COVID, pre-COVID, now it's kind of in our faces, um, families are like, there needs to be some serious changes, and the federal mm -hmm. Department of Education isn't really doing it, so let's go ahead and, and give some more empowerment to the families, give some more empowerment to the to the parents into our communities. So I, I think that there's a huge conversation that can be had around education. I want to know what's, what's spinning around in your head. What are your thoughts? Uh, 
whether it's school choice, whether it's how do we fix the public system? Is there a fix to the public system? Um, I'll, I'll open up that huge can of worms for you. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big one. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting because when we were working on our education policy for the campaign, that was not something that we just sat down and created based on talking points that outline things that people want us to say. Yeah. Our campaign sat down with educators, with teachers who teach every single day and asked, what is it that you need for your classroom, for these kids to be successful, for you to teach these kids what they need to know? And I think overwhelmingly, it was clear that there are way too many administrative costs. There's a lot of bureaucracy involved. Um, and I think that paring that down, finding out, figuring out how to pare that down, right? Um, parents should always have a choice in their, in, in, in a say in their children's education in the direction that it goes, whether they want to homeschool, put them in a private school, use the public education system, um, I am one of those libertarians who I'm not an anarchist. I'm a minarchist. I think that there is a role for government. I think that a reasonably sized and well-regulated government, well-regulated, I like those words, right? Mm. Um, meaning regulated by its citizens, the people that it's supposed to work for. Um, but I do think that there is a role and I'm not necessarily opposed to a public education system, Yeah. but I think the one that we have is really broken and I think it's broken really beyond repair. And I think we need to scrap it and start over. I think we need to let teachers do their jobs. I mean, my God, these people are tired. They have done so much. And if anything that we learned during COVID, um, there is so much stuff that they do during the day that just seems like filler. Like, yes. why yes. are my kids sitting in class for seven hours a day? And they're not like most of the stuff, the, the substantive stuff can be done in four hours. Yes. Like this is ridiculous, you know? So I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it, it's, but... it's an incredible start. <laughs> I mean, you talked about actually going to the people who are engaged on this topic. Saying, yeah, absolutely. What do you anytime, need? Anytime, here's the thing. Anytime you're making decisions about something that impacts other people, especially their jobs, their paychecks, they should always have a say. <laughs> they should always have an opportunity to give you input because especially if you're not somebody who's ever done that job, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. And you need those people. You need to listen to those people. You need their opinions. You need their perspective. You need to hear their experiences because you cannot solve for a problem you don't understand. And if you don't understand it, if you can't comprehend it, then you need to find somebody who can help you comprehend it. <laughs> Done. Because you can't solve for a problem you don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That's, Sorry. you know, I... You can't say that on this podcast because we only come to the pundits and the only pundits are the people behind the microphones and that's the only people you can come to. So we're going to have to can't. But on a serious note, that is so refreshing because you don't hear other candidates from any 
arguably even a lot of libertarian candidates aren't going out there and talking to their community saying what is it that you need you're in this role you clearly especially teachers there aren't teachers that are necessary there may be some there are not for the most part any teachers out there for the vast majority of teachers they are there because they want to make a positive impact to their students they want to teach they want to help them develop and to grow so you go what do you need maybe we should have this conversation meanwhile you have republicans democrats and arguably even some libertarians i've done this where we go i know what to do listen to me yeah so we're we're bad jessica's right on this you you've won my heart and soul on that one um college tuition's a fun one so here we go so there's a lot of the conversation going on because we just had ten thousand dollars between 300 or 550 million billion billion with a b uh dollars being utilized in another manner um in order to have some relief what is it that we can kind of see from the trajectory of Jessica Etheridge is now engaged in these conversations with South Carolina universities in order to help try to make it um, make it a more welcoming and a more financially feasible decision for for the next generation. Well, I mean, for as long as the federal government is issuing or in any way involved in student loans with these ridiculous interest rates that create debt that can never be repaid. I mean, most of these people can't figure out how to repay these debts. Um, I mean, they're essentially subsidizing these colleges and they're able to charge. It's just like healthcare. They're able to charge whatever they want to charge and they're going to get paid. And um, that's not good. (laughs) That's just not good. I think that, you know, there, there are a lot of ideas floating around right now Um, obviously the primary thing is making it so that these things can be discharged in bankruptcy so that if someone does have this debt, they can be freed of it in, in that process. Um, restructuring of the loans that are currently on the books. I think that's a good step too to allow people to be able to pay their debt. I don't like the idea of wiping out debt. Um, especially in this way, because it does come back on taxpayers, whether you think it will or not, it will, we're going to pay for it. It's going to, you know, it's, it's going to increase inflation down the road. And I think that this is all part of a bigger problem in homes. I think that parents aren't talking to their children about their options. Um, I'm a huge advocate for trade schools and technical colleges. I got my degree that I use every day from a technical college. Um, granted, it's a little bit different career path. I built it myself. Um, it's not a traditional career path that I went down, um, but I'm a huge advocate for those opportunities for kids because not every kid wants to go to college. And I think selling this narrative that you have to go to a four-year college, you have to get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, and you have to get a doctorate or whatever. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important because to some people they are, and there are a lot of successful people with those degrees. 
Um, but I think if a kid doesn't fully understand what that's going to look like, or maybe they don't feel sure that that's what they want to do. I don't think they should be forced to. And I don't think we should be feeding them this narrative, not parents, not guidance counselors, not friends and family. Um, We've got to stop that, right? We've got to stop doing that because we are pushing these kids toward these colleges that they can't afford. They're signing notes that they're never going to be able to repay. They're coming out of college with useless degrees because now we have flooded colleges with these kids who are all getting the same degree. There aren't enough jobs. They also are not receiving counseling for how to use these degrees, what all their options are when they come out of college. They don't even know what jobs to look for. It, I mean, it's, there are so many issues that have to be addressed. And I think it really, it all starts at home. Yeah. Um, that's just my personal opinion, but, um, but back to the trades, the trades and technical yeah. schools. I think it's really important that we offer those to kids, that we make sure they understand those as opportunities, because maybe it's a situation where a child does want to go to a four-year school after college, but they know they can't afford a four-year school. Instead of forcing them to take out these extremely high interest loans, let them go to a tech school for two years and transfer. They can work while they're at that tech school, getting their, you know, the, core classes out of the way, save up the money that allows them to pay more toward their education as opposed to taking out these loans. Why aren't we talking to them about that? Why are we doing our communities a huge disservice by not telling our kids that they can be successful as plumbers and electricians and auto mechanics and welders? It's, it's, it's such a needed conversation. And I know I made, I personally made a lengthy post when we had the the student loan forgiveness uh, debacle going out, but it was we have a cultural problem, which is what you're describing. Mm. Cause I know for yeah. me, like I work in a combustion lab for my day to day job. And so many of the people there were like, I was, you know, I was 16, 17 years old. And my parents said, you know, you got, once you turn 18, you mm. got to go to college or you got to go join the military. And it's like, man, like there are so many more options out there. There's so many different paths of availability. Mm. And just as you would describe technical schools, community colleges many times if you live so for south carolina you can go to a community college for free as long as you've been a resident for a couple of years mm-hmm. like yeah we have these opportunities out there um that you're not going to be incurring all this debt and and just the saturation of those markets that you were talking about nobody needs to go to ucla for four years just right out of high school to get their degree like you're not yeah, you're going to be gaining something for going to a prestigious school, but going through another way of saving that money, these are conversations we need to have. You're starting off these conversations. It needs to be brought in to to the hearts and minds of everyone out there. So I'm, I'm glad that somebody out there is actually bringing that up for us. So is there anything that you would see? Because I know for... A lot of the colleges here in South Carolina, a lot of the big ones, right? You've got Clemson, who receives huge subsidies and taxes, um, uh, tax breaks and everything else. And, and of course, College of Charleston gets this. Are these things that you think are, are in the correct view of the government? Um, should they should they be providing that? Should it be curtailed? Should it be removed outright? Um, these are, are, are some of the conversations I've been seeing a lot more people have around these. If we get rid of the subsidies, does that mean that the students will pay more or, you know, 
of course this is diving into the weeds of things but it's one of those things that it, it speaks to even the college loan forgiveness where we arguably may see schools cost another ten thousand dollars now as a as a result of ten thousand dollars being forgiven forgiven mm-hmm. for new new tuition rates is yeah. that is that going to be applicable here as well I mean, the government's never going to give away money. That's not a thing they do, right? Like, we know that. And anybody who thinks that they will, I'm sorry, but you're delusional. Unless you're their cronies, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think if the federal government were to remove itself, and the market were able to to drive the value of these educational opportunities, I think we would see the cost come down mm-hmm. because, you know, we would see people maybe choosing the different options that they have available to them because it's not as easy to go when you're getting this, this loan that you don't realize is really not a good deal, right? Um, but, and it creates that competition, right? Because then universities are going to have to compete with trade schools. They're going to have to compete with community colleges. And so they're going to have to lower tuition. Um, there was another part of that and I completely lost it. I'm sorry. No, don't, don't, don't. Sort of it's been that. a long day. <laughs> it has been, it has been. And we've already gone over our hour, but I, I appreciate you sticking that out for me. Um, has it already been over an hour? Really? Yeah. It's nine eleven right now. Never forget. Oh, wow. Um, I said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that that definitely happened. So, in the end, so you you may have potentially started a discussion around minarchy versus anarchy, but we're not going to touch that one too much. Um, <laughs> but what is what would you say is the role of of the South Carolina government? What do you what do you what do you see it doing well? Or what do you see it doing that it should be done better? Or what are are some of the things that you see that it's doing that shouldn't be done at all? Well, I mean, I think the government, again, it works for the citizens. It should serve the citizens. Yeah. Um, Our campaign talks a lot about community-based solutions. And what we mean by that is finding ways to get the government, like government regulation and all of these barriers, to get those things out of the way so that we can not only allow, but empower communities to um, take care of themselves, right? Because there is, there's a lot of uh, dependency on the government for a lot of things. I mean, everybody seems to depend on the government for something. And that's always the answer, right? For people, because it's the easy answer. It's easy. Just let the government do it. Like you need a welfare program, the government will take care of it. We'll just pay taxes and the government will take care of it. Um, Because we've been conditioned as a society to think that that's how things can be effective. And I think that we have found out that that government is anything but effective. Yes. Yes. But we talk about these community solutions from the perspective that government should act as a um, more of a networking facilitator, right? So as Lieutenant Governor, if elected, I think my primary initiatives would be finding advocates and activists in communities, connecting them to help, helping communities identify their needs and then connecting them with the people in other communities or within their community who can help them achieve um, those things for themselves rather than relying on the government to do it. And that's true in cases of 
um, you know, for, for topics like abortion, uh, that's a big one. Um, allowing, allowing communities to, empowering communities to be able to provide services to women and families in crisis so that they don't feel like they have to seek abortions, right? Um, and providing the services to proactively prevent unwanted pregnancies. Um, and those are pretty big conversations that, you know, we may not have time for tonight, but those are the community solutions that we that we're talking about in our campaign. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, overall the, the idea is that government should act as a facilitator, um, as a helper of communities in achieving those networks and those goals, as opposed to dictating what they have to be and then being that provider and pulling all those strings and determining what is needed, when, where, how, how much. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's incredible. Now, you said a term earlier, and I, I hate to be this guy. You said a term earlier. You said the term well-regulated. And for me, I... <laughs> I, I like the term well-regulated, but I like the term well-regulated from the 1779 version when the Constitution was written. Yeah. And that means to make regular. And and so I agree with you. If the government, should a government exist, anarchy versus minarchy, uh, should a government <laughs> exist, it should be there to make regular prosperity. It should make regular for mm -hmm. living, for happiness, for joy, for it should be doing things in Security, order to help yeah. exactly to facilitate mm -hmm. people to get what they need, not to be the provider, not the dependency, right. but the dependency on one another. Um, that's you frame that so well. I'm, I'm and then I get to use well regulated, so I get to bring back <laughs> that. So incredible. Uh, I don't know if you want to dive into the abortion topic. I, I would be happy to give you a little bit of time to talk about that if you want to go a little bit further into that. Because uh, I know on the hearts and minds of a lot of people right now is the yeah. H5399 uh, bill, which was just passed by the House to be sent to the Senate, likely to pass there. And then will be signed by uh, Henrik Master, who said that we don't need exceptions. And this would be one of those as well. Um, but if you want to dive into that, we're more uh, this platform is yours. Uh, if, I mean, if we have time, we can talk about it. Yeah. The time is yours. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever you would like to discuss. This is, this is more, this is for you. Yeah. Um, so. Well, first of all, we know that prohibition doesn't work. Right. I mean, we know that prohibition does not work. It doesn't. So you tell women that they can't have abortions. You tell doctors they can't perform abortions. We're going to go back to the days where there are back alley abortions and women are going to be dying because they're having to seek these unsafe uh, procedures. Yeah. And I know, you know, there, there are so many viewpoints on this there and people feel very strongly about this topic on both sides and they should, it's a very important discussion. It's a very important discussion. I personally am pro-life. As am I. Personally, pro-life. However, I do not think the government should ever have a say in the decisions that are made privately between a woman and her spouse, a woman and her partner, um, a woman and her family. Because I know there are a lot of stories where, you know, teenage pregnancies happen and parents make their daughters get abortions. and their daughters are forever changed and forever 
um, traumatized by those experiences. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm not here to speak on that. I'm not here to say what's right or what's wrong or what people should or should not do. That's, that's not my place. Um, I know a lot of people believe that conception, you know, life begins at conception. A lot of people don't think it begins until the baby can live outside of the womb. And both of those, I think, are valid points of discussion um, on the, you know, the various merits that exist for them. Um, and I'm going to bounce back and forth because this is a topic that it, it took a lot. There's me. so much, there's yeah. so many to, ways. There's to... so much to unpack. Yeah. I mean, people who make this a black and white, like very clear cut issue. It's because you don't understand. <laughs> like you have not taken the time to understand this. It is not an easy thing to discuss. It's not an easy thing to understand. It's not. Um, and I think that it's really, really easy because people feel so passionately. And especially even within libertarianism, you have that very clear dividing line, right? And mm-hmm. people who believe that um, that life begins at conception believe that it's a violation of the nap because it violates the rights of the baby. People who believe that life does not begin until um, the baby can survive outside of the womb or that the mother should have the right to decide over her own body regardless of the gestation where they are in gestation um they believe that it's a violation of the nap to make her carry the baby right so i mean these are these are conversations that there's really no clear answer to yeah except that the government should never have a say in that decision ever and so the idea that our legislature is trying to cram this through a special session and they're trying to do this before the election so McMaster can sign it into law is, to me, it's abhorrent. Like, I cannot believe that this is happening right now. Um, and I cannot, I cannot understand how people can support this. I, I do understand because they don't understand, yes. right? Like, I understand yes. that they don't understand. Um, but it's heartbreaking as a woman to know, even though I don't think I would ever make that decision. But then again, I've never had a pregnancy where my fetus could kill me. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had to make that decision. And to think that I might not be able to make that decision. If we pass a total, if we pass a total ban, that's what we're talking about. Yes. I mean, if, if I get raped, if I, if I leave my I don't know if I leave a restaurant after dinner with my girlfriends and some guy grabs me and takes me behind a dumpster and rapes me and I get pregnant. I have to carry that baby. Like the fact that I can't make that decision is unacceptable. There was a tweet that I saw and I I don't want to, I don't want to break up this because it's beautiful what you're saying, but there was a tweet that I saw that was like, men can now choose who their baby mothers are. Yes. That's, that is pretty much and we don't have a say yeah so that's that's terrible on its own and so for for everyone wondering at home h39 or 5399 which is a bill that's being passed by the special legislative um session 
this is it has no exceptions the only exception is an immediate and it calls out an immediate threat to the mother's life so that means that you know there was recently a a south carolina representative who went semi-viral but he was talking about how a mother who had a stillborn inside of her during the gestational process had a stillborn inside of her they could not Mm. could not remove the stillborn the dead fetus that was inside of her because it would have been violation of the laws already on the book so we are looking to tightening those up and because it's not an immediate threat to her life it would be a threat a couple days maybe a couple weeks later who knows when but maybe she'll pass the 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 fetus through uh, through uh, I, I forgot what that's called like an instantaneous abortion or spontaneous abortion there we go spontaneous abortion Hopefully she has that and it doesn't come to a point where it's threatening her life. But to put people but, in limbo like that is just terrible. Well, and also, I mean, knowing, I mean, there are women who are pregnant with babies that they know are not going to make it to term. And instead of being able to choose to end that pregnancy, they're forced to carry a baby and eventually deliver a baby that they have to see. And I'm sorry. If you've never delivered a baby, you don't know what that feeling is like. Delivering a baby, not only the the physical aspect of it, but the emotional aspect of that and seeing that baby. And I've never delivered a stillborn baby. But my God, if I were told, if I were pregnant and my doctor said that that baby was not going to make it to term at, you know, when I'm at 15 weeks and they said there was something like, massively you know just majorly wrong yeah and like i had to let that baby grow inside of me only to give birth to it at 27 weeks and it be a baby like a baby that just born was was born dead i mean these are the circumstances that we are talking about that people aren't thinking about like these are things that actually happen for women and not allowing them to have a say is it's very shaky ground. It's, and it's frankly, it's unacceptable. Um, but also we have to have the discussion about, you know, miscarriages. Like, are we going to start investigating women when they have miscarriages to make sure that they miscarried naturally versus did they have a miscarriage because they, you know, fell down some stairs and did they do that on purpose? And are we going to put them in jail for that? I mean, like these are, this is a very, slippery slope yes. and I, I don't I, this is it's scary it's scary as hell and anybody who is not thinking about these things I would I would beg of you please consider if you're watching this and you haven't considered these things please think about them think about the women in your lives and think about these things happening to them and what you would want for them nobody I I don't know a single person who has had an abortion who was glad that they had an abortion. Yeah. It is not something they wanted to do. It was something, a choice that they made because of their health, because of their economic situation, um, because of their home situation. I know somebody who had an abortion because she was being abused and she didn't want to bring a baby into that abuse. Um, and she didn't know how to get, I mean, like there are just so many situations and thinking that people just get abortions because they want to kill babies is absurd. And I'm not justifying it again. 
pro-life. Yeah. But I also understand that there are experiences that I haven't had that I will never have that should never allow me to, to have a say in what somebody else does. It should never allow the government to be able to dictate a decision that somebody else makes. Absolutely agree. I buy that wholesale. Yes, I am. I am 100% on board with you, right? The pro-life side of things, but the anti-government getting the hell involved with it. This is, mm. this is, we have to be involved. And and so I know that you, you've referenced some of the things there of what can we do, whether it's a crisis center, whether that's looking at the adoption care, the foster care system, how can we help facilitate those lives and make the, the the children that were born make their lives better what can we do when it comes to contraceptives and making those over the counter oh my gosh so much stuff <laughs> i mean there's so much there's so much that we as communities could do i mean yeah making contraceptives available over the counter um or at least where you can go to a pharmacy and say this is what i would like to do and i understand that there are specific reasons why historically that hasn't been possible because there are health risks associated with using contraceptives, with using birth control for women. Yeah. Um, higher risk of stroke, higher risk of heart attack, especially if you smoke or drink. Um, it can, you know, it can create other issues. So, I think that's why it's a prescription drug, or, or has always been, for the most part, a prescription drug, because they want to make sure that you're receiving the medical care needed to make sure that it's not harming you, right? So, I. I understand that I do. Um, but yeah, making those things more easily accessible is a huge thing. But I think also educating our kids about it. Um, I think that allowing for, because we have sex education in schools, mm -hmm. right? And it is a very basic overview of reproductive, all the reproductive things. Um, I, I don't know what other schools do. I know what my kids' schools do because I've reviewed the materials. I reviewed the materials before I allow, allow my children to uh, participate in the class because I want to make sure that what they're being told is what I think yeah. is age-appropriate and accurate. Um, but I think, you know, we can work with these community groups, with doctors to create these educational programs for kids that are offered at community centers that can be offered through, you know, other outlets. I mean, some churches may want to offer it to in, in their community. Um, schools may want to offer it as an elective class, right? Um, but, but teaching to teach kids about, about these things, because they don't always, I think, get that full picture from those base level sex education programs that they have in schools now. So I think that education piece for our youth is very important and making that voluntarily provided and voluntarily participated in, but encouraging that participation to hopefully kind of curb, um, you know, those youth pregnancies and teen pregnancies. Yeah. I think also as part of that, you know, when we talk about these programs being offered by community groups, I mean, you know, we used to have home economics in school. And I know in home economics, we would talk about, I mean, we would learn to, you know, we learned how to cook. We learned how to sew a button. Yeah. Um, but we also talked about balancing books and things like that. I mean, and I think those are things that parents should be teaching their kids, but let's be realistic. Not all parents know how to do that. 
you know, not all, not all parents are equipped with that knowledge and ability. So maybe have that as something that's offered to help kids, you know, understand what goes into a home life. Um, maybe that's... Which opens up the door for other conversations, but yeah, I, I don't mean to plug this cause I know you guys are in hiatus, but maybe that's something that parenting porcupine should do an episode on. If you guys haven't yeah. already is like, because right now, right, when it comes to the sex education thing, right, well, a lot of us parents kind of just know that they're going to get that through the school system. And it's a it's an incredibly, like, awkward conversation just thinking about in your head to talk to your kids about it and be like, mm-hmm. hey, here's what sex is. Here's, like, how you were created. Now the kid's, like, thinking about you. And it's just like, I don't I, uh, just yeah. go talk to your teacher. Well, we talked to – we talked to – sorry, just a quick funny story. We yeah. talked to my younger son about it because he got very curious and he saw some things online. So we had to have the conversation with him about it. And um, he was very uncomfortable with me, so I – Michael had the conversation with him um, and he said that you could see it click like when he realized, oh gosh, that's how I was made, you know, but it was funny because then a few weeks later we were dying Easter eggs and you could tell he was really thinking about something and I was like, oh, are you okay? And he said, you know what, mommy, these eggs are a chicken's period. <laughs> I was like, You know, you're kind of right, kids. Like, yep. That's but just it. the fact that he was like putting those pieces together and said, "Sorry, I interrupted you." No, ahead. you're good. Michael did a fantastic <laughs> job. But that's one of the things is like, it's incredibly difficult. And of course, like little boys are going to be more comfortable with their dads, mm-hmm. and typically girls are going to be more comfortable with 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 their moms. Um, but that's stuff that you know people have got to navigate. And and mm-hmm. certainly one of the things that that comes through is that there are kids that, you know, little boys that don't have fathers in their homes or or little girls Mm -hmm. that don't have mothers in their homes. And so having that cross-reference even as well of, like, parents got to have that responsibility, that ownership again. We can't just be dependent on on the system to provide this. this. But when we talk about providing these types of opportunities to educate the, the kids, we can also provide those for the parents as well, like allow them to participate yes. in a, in a program that teaches them as well, because maybe they don't know, maybe it's a, how to talk to your kids about sex. I mean, you know, and I don't know that there would be a demand for it, but there may be, you never know if you don't try, but these are the types of things that, that we would like to help facilitate, you know, working with advocacy groups and activists. And then um, things like, yes, making it easier to foster children, making it easier to get the, approval to do that you know and I understand why they have some of the things in place that they have because they want to make sure that when they're placing children in the care of other people that they are you know going to be taken care of and loved and yeah people yeah um and that they're going to a safe a safe environment um but yeah making adoption more affordable it should never ever ever cost more money to adopt a baby than it costs to abort one. I think it's absurd that it costs more money That's to a adopt a baby than it costs to abort one. And I think that if adoption were a more affordable option, I think that it would allow more people to utilize that, that opportunity. And, um, y- you know, I think also providing 
support and counseling to families in crisis because maybe there is somebody, a woman, let's say a woman who gets pregnant by rape and she's not sure um, what she wants to do and she needs counseling. She needs to talk to somebody like let's make that counseling available within our communities. Let's work together to provide that support to this, to these women, to these families um, so that they are equipped to make the decision because they may not, that abortion may not be their first choice if they know all their options, if they know what, what support they have um, through other avenues. Um, yes. You know, I think I just, there are so many things that we can do as communities. And I'm just going to say, for those of you who do this, standing outside of these clinics and these supportive service provider facilities with signs that people are going to hell with pictures of babies in, you know, the, the pans after they've come out, like that doesn't help. I'm just telling you that does not help anybody. So stop it. Like if you want to help volunteer, go, go help counsel women in crisis Go be a part of the solution. Stop standing out there with your stupid signs. That makes me so angry. It makes me so angry. I have a question from the audience on this one. Should taxpayers fund abortions? Absolutely not. Quick Absolutely and, not. Quick and simple. There we go. Perfect. I want to, no. I want to, um, is there any topics that you felt that we should have covered that we didn't cover? Um, Miss Jess. Yes. Which one? Events, volunteers. I was gonna wrap up with that for the campaign end. needs. <laughs> of course, of course. I was I I, I was gonna save that for last. Of course, uh, as you continue to rope more and more people into being loving and adoring what you're saying. So, you guys are clearly on the campaign trail. November eighth is the big party. It's the big yeah. day. This is not a Jessica does this all kind of thing. This is not uh, your your uh, gubernatorial candidate, Bruce Reeves. This is not him doing everything. This is an all-hands event. So what is it that, you know, the, the, the great people tuning into this Muddy Waters Media episode, what is it that they can be doing to help engage with you, to learn from you, to follow what you're doing, socials, anything and everything? How do they get involved? Well, first of all, we are going to be ramping up our appearances at local events. We're going to be a lot of festivals and fairs um, in your communities in South Carolina. If you live in South Carolina, um, we need help. We need people to come out and help us hand out materials. We need people to come and talk to our um, people in our communities and help us spread the word. So if you would like to volunteer with us, we have lots of opportunities. You can email us at, I think, info at Reeves for the number four SC.com. And we can put you in touch with our events coordinator and our volunteer coordinator who can get you plugged in. We also always have needs for um, hands behind the scenes, whether it's helping our amazing communications director, Kelsey Lyon, with um, graphics and other promotional materials or helping coordinate events. Um, We always need help. So email us at that info email address. 
Um, you can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can DM me there if you have questions um, or if you're in the upstate area and want to meet, I'm happy to uh, sit down and have conversations with anybody who would give me the time. Um, I think that was it. So you guys heard it here first. Go to reevesforse.com. That's R-E-E-V-E-S or the number four, se.com. You guys can go there, click the volunteer on that website. You guys can sign up, join in, help make, help start the conversation, right? We, we spoke about a lot of the issues here today and Jessica here being able to facilitate and start these conversations, conversations that people aren't having with, hey, teachers, what do you need in order to, to, to be equipped to help teach our, our next generation? Conversations like that, to bring those to the forefront, head on over to reeves4se.com. Follow her everywhere and anywhere that you're on social media. Um, I will make sure to get all of those links, all of the sites where you can email her, et cetera, uh, in the show notes for you guys. <laughs> Jessica, it was a hell of a, a, of a good time. I'm so thankful that you were Thank able to Thank you take for having time. me. Yeah, this was great. I always enjoy chatting with you. So thank you for having me. Always, always. You're always more than welcome. And we will have to get you back on so I can have the, I, I missed this. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't frame it properly, but you're not even going to be the first Lieutenant governor, a female Lieutenant governor from Greenville, because the current one is from Greenville. Your other, mm -hmm. your Democratic candidate on the other side, she is also from Greenville. So all three of you guys come from the same neck of the woods. So it's yeah. going to be. Pretty lawn, cool, isn't it? Lawn sign central up here. It's hey, be there's something there's something special in the water up here. Y'all better watch out. It's it's gonna be good. <laughs> but uh Jessica, thank you so much for, for coming on. I, I appreciate yeah, this you. immensely. And uh I, I look forward to, to seeing you be successful as you've always been, and I will talk to you here in a little bit. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Guys, Jessica, what uh one hell of a woman. I mean, she gets the, the hearts and minds of libertarians across the state, and now she's going to be running to be the next lieutenant governor here in South Carolina. I am so incredibly excited for her, for her and her successes, her continued successes, um, as she continues to bring about liberty for not just one, but for all. Uh, so thank you, Jess, for, for taking that time to join in with us tonight. Uh, if you guys are looking to find out when the next live stream of Muddy uh america is coming i'm going to talk to matt we're going to get something concocted here in the next couple weeks or so if you guys ever have any topics you guys want to see go ahead and uh send us a message you can tag us you can tag muddy waters media um you can tag myself jason line you can tag matt right find us tag us on a topic say i want to see you guys do a deep dive on this muddy america always standing by to help give you guys as much information as possible um whenever however uh joe hanoush please do continue to grow out that beard you're half the man you were from before you trimmed it because you did shave off half um but with that guys i want to say thank you guys so much for being here uh for joining in tonight for all the questions you guys were all incredible thank you guys so much for really making this chat go crazy um jessica's one hell of a lady i'm excited for her success so make sure you guys are heading over to reeves4se.com sign up and help support it. If you guys have friends, family in South Carolina, because you're from out of the region, make sure you guys are sharing her out to them. Spread the message, spread the liberty, spread the love. 
it's all about the community here but with that guys i hope you guys all have a great weekend it's the labor day weekend so hopefully you guys got a three or four day weekend out of this enjoy your time off we'll see you guys next week back here friday night 8 p.m eastern stay good stay well keep fighting the good fight